Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Remember this, we live in the midst of a dark world. The enemy is doing everything he can to bring that darkness to a point where it overcomes the light. But in every case, the truth of Christ and the hope of the gospel will and does prevail over the darkness. Sometimes darkness comes and covers the light. The light's still on. The darkness is just covering it for a moment, for a time. Oftentimes, we may feel like that we are surrounded by darkness on all sides, and it's just a matter of time until our own light will be extinguished. How can we hold on in the face of such overwhelming wickedness? In today's message, Pastor David encourages us to take heart and trust God. Our light is not fueled by our own strength and energy, but by the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. We may struggle to see His light, but it is there and no darkness can stand against it. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Light Prevails Over Darkness. It also talks about how the wild boar could come in out of the forest and feed himself there at the vineyard. There was no protection. There was no covering of that vineyard. And again, speaking of Israel, because they had backed away from the Lord, the Lord's protection was no longer on them. Isaiah chapter 5 said that after the owner had planted a vineyard, it only yielded wild fruit. None of these references are good. They're all about Israel over and over. Israel was the Lord's vineyard, but it wasn't a pleasant vineyard. Do you remember the earlier parable when we looked at chapter 19 about the nobleman that was going away and he was going to be gone for a long time. He's going to receive his kingship and come again. Well, this parable here has some similarities, but it is totally different. This king isn't going to come back this time at this point. No, he's sending ahead his servants to be able to check on the crop, to be able to check on the harvest. Look what it says here as Jesus continues this parable in verse 10. Now at vintage time, the owner of the vineyard sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And then again, he, he sent another servant and they beat him also. They treated him shamefully. They sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third. But they wounded him also and they cast him out. See, the problem is, is the wicked servants, these vine dressers, They don't want to have anything to do with the king. 
They don't want to have anything to do with the king's representatives at all. Three different representatives, all three met the same fate. The first one came in, they beat him, they sent him away empty-handed. The second one came in, they beat him also, they treated him shamefully, they sent him away empty-handed. The third one, they wounded him also and cast him out. Wouldn't you love to be the fourth guy? You know, you're kind of wondering, oh man, he's not going to send me, is he? No, the king changed his plan. The king now, instead of sending his armies in, which he had every right to do, you realize he had every right then to go in and send forces against these vine dressers. But that wasn't the heart of the king. He tried this other option, verse 13. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him in order that the inheritance might be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Interesting here in this parable, they cast the king's beloved son out of the garden or out of the vineyard. That's even a fulfillment of the law dealing with the sacrifice for sin. Back in Leviticus chapter four, a very clear picture that the sacrifice had to be taken out of the camp to be, again, used as the sacrifice. And then after the... From, from, the, from the message in Leviticus 13, the writer of Hebrews touches on that in reference to Christ. In Hebrews chapter 13, not taking too much of a wild rabbit trail here, but he says the bodies of those animals, those whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the camp. The hill called Golgotha. Calvary, the place of the skull, the place where Jesus was crucified was outside the city gates of Israel. And so when Jesus is giving this parable, it's interesting that he brings that very point in. Verse 15 says, so they cast that beloved son out of the vineyard and then they killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He's gonna come and he's gonna destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. These priests and these scribes, they've been hearing this parable and they understand Israel being a a vineyard uh, so many times, so many illustrations of that within the Old Testament. And then they heard what the king or what the owner of the vineyard was going to do, that he was going to, again, send in forces and he's gonna come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And their response was, certainly not. No way. He looked at him and he said, then what then is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Interesting here, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 118. When we looked at the triumphant or triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, the people along the sides of the road, they were crying out and proclaiming the words of Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Well, part of that 118 is this. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief 
cornerstone. Now, let me stop right here. Some of you along the way may have heard a story, that, uh, an illustration perhaps by a pastor, a Bible teacher in the past, that speaks about that when they were building the second temple, that again, the stonemasons had sent ahead the cornerstone for the temple. And when it got up to the temple area, the builders looked at it, didn't know where it was supposed to go, thought it was an odd cut stone. They cast it over the side, didn't worry about it for a while. They continued building the temple until they got to the point, well, wait a minute, we've got one major stone here that's missing. And someone remembers, oh yeah, there was a stone that was given to us quite a while ago. And they looked around, they found this cornerstone out in the weeds over here, and they finally brought it back. Story's not true. Great illustration, but it's not true. Okay, so now we'll move on. Okay. I don't want you to be ignorant about these things, okay? Jesus, in speaking about that cornerstone in verse 18, he says, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, they're going to grind him to powder. That stone sent by the master builder, God the Father, was being rejected by the very people who should have been looking for and anticipating that cornerstone. But they found no favor in the Father's plan. They determined to build a kingdom of their own design. And as they came against that very stone that that had been sent for them to build on, they fell upon him. They themselves sealed their end. Jesus says they're going to be broken. And then in addition, when that cornerstone comes to take his rightful place at the end of days, when the judgment comes, it says he will crush and he will grind them to powder all those that reject him. Again, not a seeker-sensitive message, not, not, not a nice and polite Jesus loves you thing, but it's the reality of coming judgment for those who reject the truth of the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Chief priests, the scribes, they understood exactly what he was saying. And so in verse 19, we read their response that the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him. They wanted to destroy him, but they feared the people for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. You think? <laughs> They're listening to this saying, I just imagine their minds just spinning. Wow, he... I, you know, I don't know about you, Samuel, but I think he's talking about us. And when they finally figured that out, they said, hey, we can't let this guy keep doing that. We can't keep, let him keep coming against us. And so the darkness tried to shut out the light, but the light will prevail. They sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people. And then in verse 20, it says, so they watched him. And then they sent out spies who pretended to be righteous. Now, you got to laugh at that. Can you imagine standing before Jesus and pretending to be righteous? Yes, Jesus. And he said, are you kidding me? He knows the hearts of all men. I mean, you and I, we can, we, can, we can scam each other all day long. We can pretend to be a whole lot of things that we're not, but that's not happening in front of Jesus. He's going to see us. He's going to see to the very core of our heart. He knows exactly who we are. They pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. As crazy as this sounds, of pretending to be righteous before God, their plan was even crazier. 
They sought to trap him in order that they might deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Like the power and the authority of the governor was anything that Jesus couldn't deal with. I mean, it would have been no problem. But again, it was at the time of the father's choosing that he's going to be delivered, not at the time of these Pharisees and Sadducees. But they came, they pretended to be righteous, and they began asking him questions. Verse 21. They asked him, saying, Teacher, oh, we know what you say. I, we, we know you teach rightly. Hell, you don't show personal favoritism to anyone, but oh, you teach the way of God in truth. You just hear the sappiness coming out of these guys. Well, let us ask you, is, is, it, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? We could get real political here right now, but we're not going to. Um, <laughs> verse 23, we'll leave that for another day, another time. But he perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, why do you guys test me? Why are you testing me? Show me a denarius, uh, one of the Roman coins. Whose image, whose, whose inscription does it have on it? Well, he answered, well, it has Caesar's. So he said to them, Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, there's a whole other message that we could teach on this. Whose image is on you? You see, you and I, we were created, what? In the image of God. So his image is impressed upon you. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render unto God the things that are God. That's, that's you and I. But we're not going to do that message today either. We'll save that for another time. They could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people, and they marveled at his answer, and they kept silent. Oh, they kept silent, but they're not finished yet. You see, the darkness will never give up trying to extinguish the light. But you have to admit, this next question asked by the Sadducees, they really had to dig deep here to try and trick or try to, to catch Jesus with something, particularly since they didn't even believe in the resurrection. Now, you're going to have to listen close because their, their, their plan here, their scheme, is really kind of complicated. The question comes actually from a situation uh, from Deuteronomy 25, but with a little bit of twist. We'll look at that in a moment. Uh, in verse 27, then some of the Sadducees, remember, these are the guys that don't believe in the resurrection. Some of the Sadducees who deny there is a resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now that's the Deuteronomy 25 part. So if you marry a woman and you guys don't have any children, that means your brother then takes your wife and bears children with her in order that your heritage might live on. So, guys, we always want to make sure we know who our sister-in-laws are. You know, we, uh, hopefully they've made a good choice. No. Uh, <laughs> they, they come now with a twist. They've got the Deuteronomy 25 thing down, but look at the twist, verse 29. Now, there were these seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children, and then the second took her as wife, and he died childless, and then the third took her, and in like manner also the seven and they left no children and all died. And then last of all, the woman died. I, I think she died of exhaustion personally. <laughs> but uh, going through seven of these guys. 
And she's hoping and praying there's no marriage in heaven. (laughs) Verse 33, here's their question. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. By now, we all ought to be feeling pretty sorry for this poor woman. (laughs) And Luke now gives us Jesus' response. But I believe, uh, you know, I think Jesus probably laughed at this at first. I think he probably heard this thing and says, you guys are out of your mind. Number one, you don't even believe in the resurrection. Then you come up with this, you know, crazy story. Why? Because you're trying to test me. Verse 34, he says, Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given to marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels. Now be careful with that. We'll come back and touch on that in a moment. Equal to the angels. And are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed us in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, for he is the God of he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. So let's back up for a moment and look at this. What Jesus is saying is in the resurrection, there's no marriage, there's no given in marriage. And guys, I, there are some that teach that marriage is eternal. It's not eternal. Marriage is until death do you part. I've shared with you guys before and I'll share it again. You know, uh, in, in the resurrection, I'm, I'm gonna love Robert just as much as I love my wife, okay? Uh, I know it's sick, but uh, it's the reality. <laughs> Because it's going to be a perfect love. It's not going to be a love that's based on uh, emotions. It's not going to be a love based on uh, uh, any kind of a physical thing. It's going to be a a pure and true love, and our love is equal. Are you saying that I I won't be able to see my husband or my wife or my grand? Well, yes, you will. But you're not going to be married to them. We don't, there's no more marriage. This This is it. During this physical lifetime. The Word of God declares that so clear and so plain. So, Pastor, what do, what do I do with this? All these things that you've thrown at me. How, how do I take this into my week and pull together all these things that you've said? Remember this. We live in the midst of a dark world. The enemy is doing everything he can to bring that darkness to a point where it overcomes the light. But in every case, the truth of Christ and the hope of the gospel will and does prevail over the darkness. Sometimes darkness comes and covers the light. The light's still on. The darkness is just covering it for a moment, for a time. Sometimes it would seem like there's a little bit of a layer, another layer, multiple layers until, man, it just seems like there's no light going on at all. But the light is still on. The enemy is going to bring all kinds of attacks against you as you move through this world, just like they do to Jesus. Jesus knew that there were attacks. They were coming in to try and, and squelch the message and the messenger of God, to, to put out that light it was shining so brightly for the people. 
as you and I move through our week, the enemy is going to try and get you to be stumbled up and cover you with darkness by such things as foolish or irrelevant religious issues. This guy died, or this, you had seven brothers and a woman, and whose who's bride is she at that point in time? You know, you're going to look at things, and somebody's going to ask you something about either the Word of God or your Christian faith, and you're not going to know how to answer them. Let me encourage you on this. I, as a pastor, I've been pastoring for 25 years. I've been a Christian for 46 years. I've been in ministry for about 40 of those uh, 46 years. And you know what? There's still questions I can't answer. People will ask me something, and if I believe it, it's a really heartfelt question. Say, let me get back with you on that. Let, let me look at the word, or better yet, why don't you come and we'll open up the word together and discover these things. Don't let the unknown for you become a point of doubt that brings a cover of darkness over the light that should be shining through you. Sometimes he gets us stumbled up on politics, on, on taxes, on, on health care, all these things that are going on in our world right now today. And right now, in, in the situation that we're in as a country, uh, people who used to be friends are being separated by foolish things that are temporary. That are temporary. Oh, there's a right and there's a wrong, absolutely. But you know what? Don't let it squelch the light. Don't let it cover up the light of the truth of the gospel that's within you. The, the enemy comes and he tries to cover up that light in your life with concerns of this world that you have absolutely no control over at all. No control. And so we get sucked into ourselves and rather than understanding, hey, you know what, but I know that my God is in control. I know that my God is in control. I don't know how he's gonna work this out. It seems very dark to me. But I know he will work it out. I know that his light cannot be overcome by darkness. The enemy is going to look a lot of times like he's winning. There's going to be areas in your life that, man, you used to have a bright light shining, and now all of a sudden, man, it's nothing shining there. You're going to think, wow, did the light go out? No, beloved, the light did not go out. It's still shining. And it will continue to shine. Why? Because the darkness will not prevail over the light. The light will always win over the darkness. But beloved, we've got to trust in the sovereignty and in the power and in the might and in the plan and in the trustworthiness of Almighty God when we are walking in the midst of darkness. We're in the, when we are in the darkness, we need to trust. Lord, I know you're there. And I know that even in this situation, you will prevail. I don't like this situation. This isn't a comfortable thing. The doctor's report came in. The, the financial report came in. The, the relationship is falling all apart. Man, life is just messed up. I got laid off this last week. My, 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 my house is being foreclosed on. All of these issues and things that go on that suddenly, man, they come on us like a flood. Just as the enemy came to Christ, man, bam, 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 bam. Trying to get him stumbled up. Trying to find an accusation to come against him. I don't know about you, but sometimes our lives get that way, don't they? Just bam, bam, bam. Understand that our God is a great 
mighty and an awesome God. He prevails over it all. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.